Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. To the Hall of the Universe, right here in New York City, I am Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and tonight we are featuring my interview with the one, the only, the American legend, the hero, Buzz Aldrin! Buzz Aldrin! Pilot of the Apollo 11 mission to the moon. So let's do this. I never do this alone. And I've got my professional comedian co-host, Eliza Schlesinger. Thank you Eliza, for welcome. Thank you. Welcome. And I, I also have a person who's actually been into space, the one and only Mike Massimino. Mike, welcome back to Star Talk. Great, great to be here. And Mike Massimino, you're one of my favorite astronauts ever because you helped to fix the Hubble Space Telescope. I did. Yeah, yep. that's not... And, Come on! Um, and you were not only just one of the many missions that fixed it, you were the last mission to fix it. That's right. And that's the one that was at highest risk of failure. Right. We were, since we were the last ones, there was no one else to clean up our mess. <laughs> we had to get it right. After you fixed it, did you walk off like, I fixed it good? Yeah. No, wait. It was, Elijah was more like, I hope I fixed it good. And now, and now apparently, what Neil's saying, it does work. So yeah, it works. It works. It's been working. Yes, it's yes. Our people, I, I got full reports. You did a good job. Thank you. Good yeah. to hear. And I just learned your yep. book just came out. Yes, very excited. Yes, about yes. It. And it's yes. what's called Spaceman or something? Spaceman. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Did you right. come up yep. with that title? Um, <laughs> we we kind of had a lottery. Yeah. And it was like Spaceman, Fireman, Garbage Man, Man. <laughs> Uh, Garbage Man's a title for my book. Yeah, so is, any of those could have worked, I think. Yeah. But Spaceman seemed to be the coolest. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, right, yeah, that, that yeah. was clever. We the right one. Yeah, the clever. Out, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so uh, the, the, the operational definition of being in space yeah. is, they say, like 100 kilometers. So at 100 kilometers, which uh -huh. converts to 62 miles when okay. you convert out of metric, that's about where there's not enough atmosphere above you to yes. scatter sunlight. So right. that in broad daylight, you can see the night sky. Yes. So that's true. been the operation. Now, yes. I, I've hated that definition of space. Oh. 
Uh, no. Can I tell you why? I'm gonna, Go ahead, yeah. I'm going to tell you. I'm gonna, whether you want to, I'm going to tell you anyway. All right. right. So, because... Well, maybe someone else wants to know. Because it means the definition of space is defined by how thick our atmosphere is. That ain't right. If our atmosphere were half as thick, then space would be at 31 miles up. That's and if it were fourth as thick, it would be at 15 and a half miles. If we like didn't have an atmosphere, it would be just standing here on Earth, and we all would have been in space. Yeah, but it's, it's a round number. You know, 100 kilometers seems like it's hard to get to. So that's probably, if it was like, it was like a couple hundred feet, right? You'd be like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. But you have to set it high enough so it's hard to get to. I think that's part of it. <laughs> I'm making this up. I have no idea. Okay. I thought it was 50 miles. Yeah, you know, it's and not thank 50 God miles. I'm saying, Thank God I went over 62 or else I have to turn to my head. Yeah, yeah, Mike, it was never. I thought it was 50 miles. It was miles. never 50 miles. We high-five each other at 50 miles. It's Little did we know. Is that right? Serious, yes. Because you know when it happened, you high-five each other and you go get excited and all that Is kind that of right? stuff. Is that right? Yes, and so I hope no one can ask you in the space because I got updated. And you're high-fiving at 50 miles? Pretty much, And you're yes. not paying attention to the controls? There's really, at that point, you're on top of a rocket, Neil. It doesn't matter. It's like they train. All this training you get, you realize it doesn't matter once a thing likes. You're on your way, and you might as well have fun. Right, Bring out the freeze-dried champagne. Exactly. Let's do it. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So 100 kilometers up. So, yeah. that's, so that might be the future of, of uh, tourism going to that altitude. Correct. But you went higher because you went to the Hubble Space Telescope. And right. last I checked, that was like 350 miles up. That's right. It's the highest. It's 100 miles higher than the space station. And it's the Not highest many people know Shulky. that. Yeah, it's the highest the shuttle could go to. So we were, yeah, we were the highest that anybody's been since the guys And went we to the put moon. the telescope, we, I mean, it, the telescope was put to that high altitude because we didn't want to ever have to boost it out of the resistance to the very thin layers of atmosphere at those There altitudes. is some atmospheric drag even up there. So the higher you get, the less of that you have. The less drag. Right. And so that kept yep. the telescope out of atmosphere. Yeah, we did drag. give it a little boost each mission. Yeah. But it's still, it's gonna, it eventually it's gonna come down. We put a docking port on our last mission. That's another thing we did. So you don't have to worry about it knock, knocking on your door when it comes in. Wait, wait, wait. You put a docking port so that the next space shuttle could undock it? We put a, I mean, uh, so can, 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 docking I know, that's what I'm saying. No, I said that's what I'm saying. We no, don't no, have, really well, that assumes we had space it shuttles. A, it was a docking ring. No, it, it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a generic one, a generic docking ring, so that a rocket motor can be attached to it and guide it back like 30 years it's from now. It's a generic docking ring. Generic. It's a, the Malto meal of docking rings. Believe it or not, it is a generic, yes. So Whatever words, that means, yeah, yeah. So it means, so like, but that's, that's I get one at, at Home Depot, a, gen, a docking it's ring. It's like Nike it with two Actually, e's. it is. It's just yeah. a round piece of metal. <laughs> okay. And it's simple, because all you're doing is you're latching into it. See, if, if you wanted to actually grab it with a certain device or dock with it, or like in the space station, we have a tunnel adapter, so you can go inside of it. We didn't need any of that. You just, a run-of-the-mill, generic docking port, piece of metal, round piece of metal, you can grab with very with latches. Very simple. Literally, very very simple. Okay, so uh, th that's encouraging because yes. you don't want that falling on anybody. No, you want to plunk it down in the Pacific. That's the right. Great toilet bowl of space probe. That's right. With yeah. all the other stuff that's there. Right. Why the fish yep. is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Is when you go up there to fix it? Yep. Because we've all seen The Martian, which is based on a true story. Whenever yeah, yeah. and gravity and all Martian the movie, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, whenever they go up there, they're always so calm when they're right. fixing things. Is it that calm? Because the whole time I'd be like, I'm in space. Like I would yeah. not be able <laughs> to be have my wits about me. Well, that, that's why I like these movies. Like even the movie Gravity, you know, we could have debates on whether or not it's realistic. Again, same for The Martian. Is it real? I just like that the astronaut looks cool, right? And hot. If the astronaut, if the, yeah, yeah, that because that kind of you know people assume that's the case. 
Don Knotts made a movie called The Reluctant Astronaut. I remember that movie. It's set, one of my yes. favorite as a kid. But he's a nervous guy. He's a jumpy guy like this. It's set back it's astronaut. Really cool about Don it set us, yeah. it, set, it set us back for centuries with that. There was no good. <laughs> the sex burned. icons that astronauts were prior That's, to that. Right, exactly. Oh, when he undid yeah, the tube. Yeah. Come on, cut us some bread. It's all Don Knotts. So it's George Clooney and Matt Damon. and he's uh, so. Are you calm up what there? What was your question? Oh, were you calm? Were you calm? Because they're so calm. Can I get back to like the Buzz Aldrin interview? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Was I calm? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but you, you're trained to be calm, actually. Okay. It's, something, it's actually, I think it's a learned trait based on your experiences. You learn how to... He's really very problems. nervous now, but he's hiding. Yeah, for yeah. this, yeah. I'm watching you shake, but fix it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this is nerve-wracking. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's nothing like this. <laughs> so, Buzz Aldrin came through town, and I just had to nab him for an interview. He and I go way back, so it was, it was a fr friendly, oh. like, old times. And so he, he came to my office, and I wanted to know, how did he become the guy? to go to the moon. Not every astronaut goes to the moon. Not every person becomes an astronaut. So, let's check it out. I was in the same squadron with Ed White, supersonic F-100s in Germany. Ed White, who was on Apollo 1. That's right. Lost him. And he left, uh, he got me in the squadron, then he left and uh, went through the test pilot school. That qualified him to uh, be testing airplanes. So a little later, he called me up and said, uh, in 62, now I'm at uh, MIT. And he says, NASA's looking for another group of astronauts, and uh, I'm qualified, and uh, I, I think I'll apply. Another group after the Mercury 7? That's right. The first one's after the second one. Um, and I said, Ed, I can shoot gunnery better than you can. <laughs> And besides that, I'm, I'm studying uh, for my doctor's degree here, and I've decided to uh, join up things in space. Docking? No. Not docking? You can't dock until you rendezvous. You gotta launch, you gotta make a couple of maneuvers, then you can rendezvous. It's like a fighter pilot uh, shooting down the other guy. Two moving that, bodies that have to intersect. Yes. That, this is bringing one on a what you would like to be a perfect trajectory because you've looked at it and it's just the one. You studied that. I did it. Oh, I did it <laughs> before oh. and after shooting down a couple of MiGs in Korea. So, Mike, how many MiGs did you shoot down before you became an astronaut? Uh, zero. <laughs> so yeah, we no. got a little slice of the right stuff Yeah, that's there. a little bit, that's a different, yeah. So he was in the Korean War, shot right. down MiGs. Yeah. And he was born in 1930, so that would have been the age yeah. in that era to do that. Right. And so here we are drawing from this population right. to represent us in space. Yeah, and back then they were all uh, military test pilots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when the shuttle era came in 1978... They had a, a group of, of astronauts. There were still the, the military test pilots, but you had the first astronauts of color, the first women who were astronauts, and you had a lot of scientists and engineers. We still have military people. We still have test pilots, but we also have 
you know, guys, yeah, men and women like me who are academics. Academics. And uh, you got a PhD you know, in engineering. Correct, a PhD yes. in engineering, yes. and we have medical doctors and scientists and people from all. So Buzz, you know, he was he landed on. It was the first mission to to land on the moon. Yeah. Second to walk Amazing. on the moon. Yes. Uh, he had his PhD by then. And it yep. seems he got a gold ring for each one of those accomplishments. Look, yeah. he's <laughs> blinged out. He's got he's a lot more of more rings than I am. My a boy is blinged. Okay. Yeah, he's big on the okay. jewel. That was just a sample. I that think. Was a lot, yeah. yeah that okay. Was a trunks. A trunk show. Feet. I mean. So he was also the first to train underwater to simulate weightlessness. That was his idea, actually. He was a scuba diver, and before his uh, his spacewalking adventure, his, his mission in Gemini, they had trouble spacewalking on, on the Gemini missions, and uh, Gene Cernan ended up being the last person on the moon during his spacewalk on the Gemini missions. He fogged over his helmet and had trouble getting back inside. And they didn't really have a way to. It's it's interesting to hear these guys talk about how to spacewalk. Then they just were just winging it. And Buzz was the first guy to put some science and engineering behind it. And and he and set a record training at the time. in the water. He, he yes. spacewalked for five and a half hours. Yeah, he had all kinds. Of, he had things like restraints and hand and handrails and how to use your tethers and how to train for it. So he thought that about was it. Really, he is a He's smart an academic. guy. He really is. He a said, smart "I don't guy. know how this works. Let me figure it out." Yeah, and he he came up with that idea. Buzz did. Smart now, guy. So Buzz was the first to pee in space. You I think he was the first to pee on the moon. Pee on the moon. Yeah, because other guys peed in space. I think that's how other countries know that we were there. I think it was a first USA. Right? Yeah. I don't think they held it for, you know, for. You can't hold it for three days. No. Two weeks. Jim Lovell was up there. I'm sure he peed. Okay. Not that I ever had, but I'm, you know. He's the first to pee on the moon. Yeah, I think it was on the moon. On the moon. And you have a space first. I do. Yes. What is that? I was the first to tweet from space. To tweet from space. Yes, oh, I was wow. the first. Yeah, it was very first cool. To tweet from space. That's what do you think cool. of that? That's pretty great. Yeah. Not like walking on the moon. No. <laughs> Maybe closer to peeing what on the moon. What was the tweet? Like, how does this it's, work? No, don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't ask him. Because yeah. yeah. we'll be prone to compare it to one small step for yeah. man, well, one grind tweet for that's, that's exactly what happened on Saturday Night Live. I, I, they made fun of me based on that quote. And all right, so what happened was I tweeted. Uh, launch was awesome. Okay. <laughs> yep. the, the, uh, and I wanted, I wanted the people of Earth to know I was okay, so I said, I'm feeling fine. Right? And then I put, do it. the adventure of a lifetime has begun. So, I, and, and this wrote? is, yes, this is what I, uh, all right, you know what, he, I was in space. You know, I, you're not I impressed? was in space! You're not impressed? We're not, uh, no. You would have done something I'm better? I'm a woman. I'm not a you would have done better? Okay, all yeah. right. Yeah, I would have taken a picture, I would have uploaded a GIF, a gift. This is a little before the camera. I don't even know if we could do that. Yeah, back yeah no, then. no, could back we? then. You this, were in space, a, of course you could. No, get no, a no, no. We could take. Oh. No, we didn't have a. We didn't have like. A, we would have. It would have been too complicated okay. because we didn't have a camera phone. It was on the computer we were doing this. This so we is didn't have have technology. how long ago it, it was. was. This is like, okay. <laughs> but the interesting thing about it is my. For me, the, the the joyful thing about it, among some other things, well, most joyful things, is you could share your experiences with people through no social media. Which in was real awesome. time, it was fantastic. The New York Times mentioned it. It was. It was just great. Got a, great a million way, Twitter followers. Uh, the, yeah, the tough. The yeah. toughest thing. Yeah, the toughest thing about being in space is that you you want to you want to explain to people how cool it is, right? Right. And you just don't have those avenues to do this. So social media has been great for astronauts to share it. But in my case, my children, you can also get email out there. My children were both in high school. And if you were a high school student, wouldn't you be glad that your dad was off the planet? Because <laughs> my kids were. And, and so I was. No, we're not having email. a party. I was, you can't exactly. see me. Oh, yeah. it's the Hubble Telescope. Right. Yeah, you they can't were, see it. They were thrilled. Plus, you're not coming home. An email. Uh, unannounced, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. They, knew, yeah. they knew where I was. Just land a rocket in the backyard? They, they, they were just, he's gone, we're happy. And they wouldn't send me any email. But they made fun of me on Saturday Night Live. What they said was, is that, you know, we, Mike Massimino, and mispronounced my name, but who cares? I understand. But, but he said, you know, the first tweet from space, 
And launch was awesome. And they said, just like Neil, you picked up on, you know, in 40 years, it was the 40th anniversary of Apollo 11, they said in 40 years we've gone from one small step for man to one giant leap to mankind to launch is awesome. <laughs> if we ever find life on other planets, this is how this guy's gonna tell us. I have my little Twitter picture and it goes, geez dudes, look, aliens. <laughs> right? So they made fun of me, but my kids saw that and they heard about it, you know, everyone, and they went to school on Monday and everyone said, how cool, you, they made fun of your yeah. dad. And then I finally got some email from my kids. Because so they made was, fun of you. Because they made fun of me on Saturday Not because night you were in space. Yeah. They didn't you were care, they did not care at all about oh, the space man. stuff. So you teach a course in, in aeronautics at Columbia University, is that right? It's, yeah, it's a, it, it, a, in space systems, yeah. Space systems, so, yep. what, so what's important for astronauts today? If, you want, if anyone in the audience wants to become an astronaut. I, th I think... A late for all of you. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Well, she just dissed the audience saying they're all too old. Sorry. Well, it used to be a 40-year age limit. No, no, they can't do that. It's a, it's a government. It's a government. There's no age discrimination. Really? There's no We're all going to be astronauts. Well, wait, in <laughs> yeah. the day. In There's the no, day. But you have to be able to pass the medical requirements, which get to be more difficult as you get older. We're not going to be astronauts. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, so you're teaching just what it is to be in space. And yeah, so you asked about what, uh, what does it take to be an astronaut. I think that you know, being able to... Um, have something that you really enjoy doing, love doing academically, and that could be flying or medicine or air, you know, astrophysics, or in my case, engineering. Something you kind of bring to the table is a good thing, but also being able to understand lots comedy? of things. And this, is my, this is my second point is, yes, being a good person. Like, you would make a great astronaut. Because I can tell you, know, you're, you know, Thank you're you. good. You'd be, no, you'd be great. And Neil would as well, because you're very personable. You care about people. You're a good team player. Well, that's what I'm wondering. And because that's the thing that is hard to measure, and that's what you get more in the interview. So I you might have to do math. We can we can I help can't you with leave that. Leave the tip properly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so getting back to my interview with Buzz Aldrin, uh, he's the pilot of the first mission to the moon, Apollo 11, and as we've said before, he's recently written a book collecting his most uh, profound moments in space. So I asked him about them. Check it out. What's your favorite story that you tell in here that you want the public to know? First guy to pee in his pants on the moon. I was going to ask you about that because I have kids come up to me, how do the <laughs> astronauts poop and pee? So, because I looked inside the command module of the Apollo command module, there's no restroom that you get up and go to. You know, uh, Al Alan Shepard's flight was going to be a pretty short one. So he was supposed to go out there, get in this Mercury, uh, first time, first American, suborbital. And the launch countdown didn't quite go the way it was expected. There was delay, delay, delay. And Alan's lying on his back. Pretty soon it's getting pretty damp there and that's when they figure we we gotta do something we gotta have a, a little bit better hydraulic engineering <laughs> into the spacesuit and the rest of it so what they call it hydraulic engineering <laughs> the ucd very important urine collection device okay and the ucd somehow uh, i thought those words would it, be bigger it, it, it it's just it's your it's a pee over, collection device. That's it all gets it is. Dumped overboard and and it freezes immediately. Instantly, yeah. And there are flakes. 
But doesn't the P there are flakes strike? outside? Wait, wait, wait. The P and is moving the same speed as your ship. Of course it would. Right. So if you put it outside, now the P is, is frozen P is traveling alongside with you to the moon. Scott Carpenter saw a lot of those uh, fireflies. And he was so fascinated with them that he wasn't quite lined up for retrofire. He, he, he got the cosine of it, which is, you know, enough. But there was a little bit of the sign of the angle that he's off. That's why he landed uh, in the wrong place. Not where he was supposed to right. go. But the fireflies, are you telling me that was his pee? Yeah, it was a urine dub. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> the mysterious fireflies. Well, <laughs> but there was a little hesitancy about people are getting their jewel too close to what was gonna go to a vacuum, like they might get sucked outside. <laughs> so we have to ask, Mike. Yes. Have you ever peed in your pants in space? Yes. We didn't call it the UCD, we called it the MAG. The MAG? The Maximum Absorbency Garment. Oh! <laughs> it was a diaper. diaper. Diaper! Yes, we wore a diaper on uh, launch and entry and while spacewalking. And then when you're inside the spacecraft, you use the toilet. Okay, so, so where does the pee go if you do it in the spacecraft? In the spacecraft, it's collected and then dumped, as, as he described. You and you would want to see, the, the urine dump was cool. Because it would, it, you would dump it and it would crystallize and the sun would shine on it and, and it was really beautiful. fun. It was, it was something. I can't believe I'm having a conversation. Yeah. A beautiful frozen yeah. pee in space. A urine dump. Yeah. Hey everybody, it's a urine dump. I, I, this is, hey, it's a urine dump. And we you know before you hit the switch, everyone go to the window and watch. <laughs> and so that's it. So you're telling me your pee was orbiting the Earth. Apparently, yes. I never thought of it that way, but yes, for a little bit until it crystallized. You know, it kind of disappeared. No, then it would re-enter the atmosphere. Uh, yes. Well. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I that's peed on everybody. You, yes. peed, you peed on Earth. Yes, I guess <laughs> oh so. my gosh. <laughs> now, now the you know the secret's out. That's it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, more of my interview with American national Earth hero Buzz Aldrin when Star Talk continues. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with their no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. 
And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com us switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. We're here at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, and tonight's show is all about the legacy of the Apollo program, and we are featuring my interview with the one and the only Apollo 11 pilot, Buzz Aldrin. Let's check it out. You're sitting on top of the Saturn V, okay? Ready to go to the moon. Does your mortality matter to you at that point, that you're sitting on this 32-story controlled explosion? Uh, probably over pretty quick. <laughs> that would be for sure. Um, May, or, or because many of you guys were fighter pilots and test pilots, the idea that you're putting your life at risk for some piece of machinery mm. was not a new concern of yours. Uh, everything that NASA did had a reliability to it, and it ended up 95 percent you guys are going to come back safely. We're pretty happy with that, really. But what was the chance before we lift off of being everything to go all right and not have to abort or the, and safely landing? Nobody was going to come up with that number, but the three of us did. 60% is what we settled on. This is you. And we uh, landed Neil Armstrong, six out of seven Michael Collins. Yeah. So, if I, I don't mean to get morbid on you, but if you had died on the moon, yeah, were we ready for that here in America, here on Earth? Every president, they have a speechwriter, a staff, and a staff writer to the president would, of course, prepare in the event some disaster unfolded, like. Challenger accident. Uh, and it's not surprising me at, at all that one would do that. But it kind of, uh, it, not shocks, but it brings people into the reality. So I have some of those words that were prepared in case Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong would be stranded on the moon, still alive, but we would know they would ultimately die. 
These words were written for President Nixon, and he never had to read them, but they exist, and they are in his presidential archives. Fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. Oh, my God. These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edwin Aldrin, know that there is no hope for their recovery, but they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. These two men are laying down their lives in mankind's most noble goal, the search for truth and understanding. That's creepy, but beautiful. When those guys were coming back, they had another launch to go through to get off the moon. That's why they were talking about them staying on the moon. That rocket did not work on the moon, they were stuck. Yeah. And I think if, if they were not successful, I think we would have continued. And we talk about that even with the, with the uh, shuttle accidents. I remember after we had Challenger, I became an astronaut after that and before the second mission, we said, oh, if you have an accident, you know, it's going to end the program. And, and it, it didn't. You know, we had another accident and we kept going. And, 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 and it. It's American spirit. And, and, and in your particular case, you, you were on a dangerous shuttle mission. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a backup mission to no. save you. That's right. And you did this knowing you were at risk of death. And it you did this for we, the astrophysicists, to fix our telescope. So uh, I have to assume the answer to this next question is yes, but I need you on record to say so. Was it worth the risk? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Y yes, it was. You got it. We got it. <laughs> well, thank you, because I, I don't know how many people, even among my, in my astrophysics community, who would have had enough of the right stuff to even have fixed our own damn telescope. So thank you. And you're, you're not an astronaut. You're welcome. It gave me something to do. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a, the telescope, I think, is a great example of how engineers and scientists kind of work together. I enjoyed fixing it. You guys look through it. And it's a very nice relationship. So now you're up in orbit, low Earth orbit, 350 miles up. But Buzz is one of 12 people to have been to the moon. And, and I had to ask him about that unique perspective, the perspective of setting your foot on something other than Earth. Let's check it out. We always hear about astronauts, human beings who have gone into space and they've come back in some other mental perspective. Are you in another state it's, of mind? It's called the overview. The overview. Yeah. You can have an overview effect just being in orbit. Yeah. And then for the nine missions that left Earth orbit to go to the moon, you now see Earth receding in the distance. That's got to affect you in some way. That's home getting smaller. You know, we'd be in trouble if it got bigger. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to happen later on. Later on, you want that on, on the backside of this. Yeah, you okay. got to put things... Oh, okay, all right. So you expect it to get smaller. It's getting smaller. All is fine. Yeah. Okay, I hadn't thought about it that way. Okay. <laughs> so, I, he's not known for being sentimental, you know, he's, he's just very matter-of-fact. And, and in fact, there's a famous photo of him saluting mm. the flag on the moon. He's quoted in his book as saying, when he saluted the flag on the moon, he's not given to emotionalism, but in that moment, mm. patriotism and love of country overwhelmed him. Wow. And this is at a time where we're at war with the, you know, at Cold War with the Russians, and there's American flag is there. And so, so did you feel 
nationalistic like I mean, you know, patriotic like that? Uh, yes, yeah, certainly I did. I was very proud to have an American flag on my left shoulder and uh, when I was spacewalking. And it's, it's a lot of national pride. We live in a great country. And I think all astronauts go as representatives of, of lots of things, you know, the neighborhoods they came from, the schools they went to, and certainly the countries they're from. So, was yeah. there ever a moment where you had to sort of override what would have been a natural emotion to take care of some other task? Yeah, you, you know, you kind of have to keep things in check. And a lot, of, you know, for me, a lot of it was the emotional part of it really didn't come out until I got back. And you start thinking about what you did and then the emotions allowed to escape. So I got very emotional really the, the day after I got back. I was thinking about stuff. You kind of hold it in. Because you're way. completely human. This is encouraging. Yeah. Oh, it probably takes oh, yeah. you a while to process that. Just, I mean, yeah, is it is. You know, I remember like, getting back and just, you know, and you start thinking about what you did and it, it really, you're allowed then to release at that point. And uh, was, that's the way it affected me. But yeah, it, you have to, you try to keep it in check. I think the, you know, the, the joyful emotion, that's a, you know, that's a good thing. Yeah, but the other, the other side of it, not panicking, you know, when things are going wrong, that's really important because you're just going to make it worse. So. Cool. Well, up next, before we get back to my clips of him, let's go to our man in the street, Chuck Nice, to see what the public thinks about the moon voyages. Check it out. That's right, Neil. We're here on the streets of New York City to find out what people think about the legacy of the moon landing. Did we even really go? Let's find out. Do you believe we landed on the moon or do you think it was a hoax? I believe we landed on the moon. Why? Ah, uh, there's pictures. We landed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't there, but... Uh, right, but you I, know that we yeah, landed. I, I think so. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Uh, no. Thank God. No. I don't think that was a hoax. That definitely happened. It, I don't see how it couldn't have. What if the Earth is a hoax, but the moon is real? Now see that. <laughs> I like the way you think. <laughs> moon people! Where are my moon people? So Buzz Aldrin estimated that there was a 60% chance that he would get to the moon and back safely. Would you take those odds? Hell no. Uh, God, no. No! <laughs> I want to say yes, but yeah. when you're asking me and thinking about my own personality, right. and I was a banker, mm -hmm. no. Man yeah. has set foot upon the moon. Where should we go next? Everybody wants to go to Mars. Like, like Vulcan land? Vulcan, the planet <laughs> Vulcan. Mars is a good destination. I have to say, though, if... We had developed the sensing technology that we have now, like in my cell phone and all of the advanced ways to see and perceive and, and learn before we had developed all the rockets back in the early 60s, he might never have gone to the moon. Really? Because back in the day, if you wanted to learn what was happening in outer space... You couldn't had, send a robot. Couldn't, couldn't. You had right. to send a human being. Send a human being. Now we could send robots. Or... Tiny or stuff. tiny stuff. Tiny stuff. So, right. So actually, technological advancement may have precluded Buzz Aldrin from ever reaching the moon. You're the man. You understand. Baron, I'm, science. I'm right. Science. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so I'm happy to report that this set of random New Yorkers in Washington Square Park, none of them were in denial of the moon landing. Good thing. As so many people are. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm happy about that. Happy to report. My fellow New Yorkers, we got it. Educated city. We got it. So the, um, I don't know how much people remember about that. Maybe, maybe some old timers do, but others, maybe you learned about it in a book. But we were in Cold War with the Soviet Union. There it was, okay? And in that Cold War, we're building up our weapons arsenal. 
And one kind of weapon, which is particularly potent, is the intercontinental ballistic missile. So this is a missile you launch, and it leaves the atmosphere of the Earth, and it travels most of its distance suborbital, then comes out of the atmosphere and lands. And you would load them with nuclear warheads, and it can go between any two points on Earth within 45 minutes. You could not evacuate a city in time. Because suborbital gets you halfway around the Earth in 45 minutes. And so, so here's what happens, just in case you don't know. October 4th, 1957, Russia launches Sputnik. And you read normal accounts of it. Oh, it's the first space satellite. Okay, that's cool. It starts the space race. Why did we freak out? Because that was in a hollowed out shell of an intercontinental ballistic missile. If they could fly a satellite that went beep, beep over our head, that was, a, that was a, the writing on the wall. That was, they can send anything over our head. And we went ballistic. And we, <laughs> so, so a, a year and a day later, I'm born, but that's beside the point. A, a, a year later that week, the week I was born, NASA is founded. Wow. And that births our, our participation in the space race. So, so then we actually launched the race to the moon with JFK's speech, because Russia beat us in almost everything else, and he thinks maybe we could beat them in getting to the moon. So we launched that. So that, that's, the, that's the story in a nutshell, and there you have it. Uh, but uh, during that Apollo era, we were spending more than 4% of the federal budget on going into space. Now it's one half of 1% of the federal budget. So the valuation is way lower. But we did manage to do other things. We had Skylab and, of course, the space station. Did you ever get to the space station? I've never been to the space station. Oh, you have to go. <laughs> really? Must What's go. It? Why? What's it like? Go in the spring. How's the food? It's amazing. Everything's fresh. Good service. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so coming up after the break, more of my interview with Moonwalker National Treasure, Buzz Aldrin, when Star Talk continues. You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship, from a ride on Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family-style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like Carnival. Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, The Bahamas and Panama. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential. 
And through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We're back on StarTalk here at the Rose Center for Earth and Space. And we're talking about the historic mission to put a man on the moon. And back then, in the age of Apollo, great risks were taken for great rewards. And I wondered, today, is that same risk-reward ratio still in effect? And I asked Apollo 11 pilot Buzz Aldrin all about it. Let's check it out. We're in a culture now where everyone is afraid to make a mistake because something goes wrong and then somebody has to hand out blame. Mm. And I worry that we live in a time very different from when I grew up, Mm. when we're sending you to the moon, where we're not gonna discover anything because people are gun shy, exploration shy, Um, risk. There's an engineer who's made uh, kind of a specialty of, uh, of really analyzing how much it costs us to be so sure that something won't fail. We spend so much money to do that. We spend money to not fail. Not well, lots. Not, oh yeah. Not realizing the value well, of failure in the first place. So maybe NASA needs a skunk works. They need a, a Well, subs- we got one, we got one down, down in Florida. What? You know, they got alligators and stuff. <laughs> but, but this is Kennedy Space Center. And they have a so if your if your launch fails, no, they get eaten by alligator. There's okay, a so swamp works, okay, mm-hmm. down where the alligators are the swamps, and they are uh, getting into some. So this is real, absolutely. Okay. You know, I didn't know about the swamp works. What well, one of the one of Buzz's favorite quotes is a variant on the one we all learned from the Apollo 13 movie. Uh, Failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. And Buzz has a different take on that. In his book, he says, nope, failure is always an option. (laughs) But one of the lessons he describes in that book, because if failure is not an option, then you're at risk of being too safe. And in fact, Lockheed Martin and the Pentagon and others have gotten together. So they had what was called the Skunk Works, Mm -hmm. where they uh, would design advanced 
uh, aviation elements. And out of that came things like stealth and uh, very high speed craft, you know, high Mach number, uh, multiple times the speed of sound. And, and in that group, they had very little oversight, very little management telling them what bottom line to, to match. And only then did I just learn that NASA has that. I'm, I'm ashamed, I didn't know this. The, the Swamp Works, did you know about the Swamp Works? You know, I, I had a student a couple years ago that had a summer internship there, so I, I learned about it through him. Yeah. Uh-huh, do you remember what stuff they were doing? They were doing some really cool robotic stuff, some like cutting edge, cool robotic stuff that this student was Without doing. some manager coming over say you gotta make the bottom line. I think that's what, that was the idea, do some exciting stuff. It's a think tank. Yeah, think tank. But they're doing more than just thinking. Yes. It's a build tank. <laughs> they're doing, yeah, thank you. It's a build. An explosion it's a, tank. It's, it's a do tank. Yeah. It, it's a do tank. And uh, getting back to the buzz and the risk, here's something interesting. If you don't know what you're risking your life for, why risk it at all? It's a good point. Yeah, if you just not, you don't have a defined goal. We'll just go in space, I don't know where, yeah. I don't know, and then well, you put your life at risk. What's that about? Yeah, it's not, it's not a really a great idea, actually. You know, and, and part of the reason as astronauts were willing to take that risk, you talked about Hubble, is because we knew that something great could come out of it. So, so you, we, you were able to calculate the return on that risk? Yeah. Because you know, plus you knew we were watching. If you came back here and you had failed, I would have kicked Well, that's the other thing. You wouldn't be so, yeah, you wouldn't have me on your show if I screwed up your telescope. Exactly. Yeah, so we, we had a, the mirror. failure wasn't an option in that case. So he goes, Neil would have been pissed. So yeah, these, you know, these astronomers would have been really angry. So we couldn't fail on that one. Well, right now it's time for Cosmic Queries. And this, in this segment, we have solicited questions from our fan base all throughout social media. I've never seen them before. If I don't know the answer, I'll just say, I don't know the answer, give me another one. But I got you to help me, Mike. Okay. So give it to us. Let's see what you got. From Matt Eli in San Antonio, Texas, why do so many people refuse to believe in the moon landing? Mike. I, I think because it's such an amazing feat, we can't imagine that we actually did it. And that's the only thing I can think. But I, we did it. I actually agree. I think what a testament to how far our science and engineering has come that people within our own culture are in denial of what those achievements actually are. That is an even greater testament to what the achievements have been. So I'm totally with cool. you on that. Those are both incorrect. <laughs> uh, no points I forgot she's a game show host. <laughs> <laughs> Next question is for Casio Keyboard. Are you ready? All right. Okay. Uh, from Sir Matthew 42 can you once and for all explain to the moon landing conspiracy theorists why the radiation belt didn't kill the Apollo astronauts? Ooh, so did you go through the radiation belt? We were... Wait, wait, Allen have belts? you had kids since you... <laughs> no! <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> um, well, the, the radiation belt, and Neil's probably can explain this better than I can, but the radiation belt also protects us from radiation. It's when you get outside of the Van Allen belts where you're more exposed. So they were exposed once they got away from the Earth's protection of our magnetic field, but they luckily did not get zapped with anything too harmful. Well, yeah, so, so if I add some, some nuance to that. So, so we have a magnetic field and charged particles come from the sun, which would otherwise be dangerous to you, and they get directed to the poles, collide with our atmosphere, render it aglow into the aurora borealis and the aurora australis, the northern lights. So credit the sun for that activity. Now, if you go into orbit, go to the moon and come back, if you're on the moon and there's a solar flare, a mega solar flare, that's bad for you, mm -hmm. right? So future missions to the moon, you wanna time it for when the sun is not flare active and the sun goes through cycles. So you know when it's at a low period, you're safer. 
The astronauts that went up back then, they were exposed to radiation, but it was not very much, and not all levels of all radiation are bad for you. Not all radiation is bad for you. Yes. That is the correct answer. Okay, what else you got? <laughs> okay. What do we win? <laughs> yeah, what do we get now? The keyboard. Just oh, the keyboard, the keyboard. Casio win. keyboard. Okay. All right. From Nicole Brooks in Philadelphia. How would a Soviet manned moon landing have affected the course of the Cold War? Ooh. Ooh, Ooh hypotheticals. They would, they, they would have won, and uh, it would have... Uh, uh, I, I, I think we're to give them an edge, and maybe the Soviet Union might even still be around today. Yeah, we might be calling it Philadelphia now, Ooh. like with an accent. You know what I think? I think had they done that, we would have said, uh, no, the real race is who lands on Mars first. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we would have kept Dang it. Yeah, yeah, oh, see? Man. See, that's what I think we would have oh, done. Wow. All right, next one, go. Last one. From Beautiful Dust Specs. If the funding and backing for space travel today was equal relative, she meant to say equally relative, to the funding of the Apollo program, what could be accomplished and what would you prioritize as the top objective? We're going to throw it to you, Neil. Okay, so no, I wouldn't prioritize everything. I say make the whole solar system our backyard. And if we had that same funding, NASA's budget would be 10 times what it is today. 10 times. And at 10 times, the whole solar system is your backyard. We'd have condos on asteroids. We, well, no, no, you wouldn't want to do that. Can't. But They're you, hard to catch. You would, <laughs> yeah. you, no, I'm just saying. You, oh, are you vacationing to the moon, the Mars, or you beyond? You want to live in space so bad. Oh, well, that's, how, <laughs> so, that's so how so it would be. If NASA's budget were 10 times what it is. And I wouldn't prioritize it. Let people prioritize where they want to go with whatever rockets they choose. It's not just one destination <laughs> after another. Let it all. Let space be the destination. Nice. Nice. Uh, I would say we would, we would uh, send people to Mars, and I think also we would give us uh, more opportunity to fund some of these commercial companies and give them a little more seed money, because once we get them creative and ways to make money, I think it's going to be uh, some, some great accomplishments. The sky's the limit. The sky's the limit once that happens. You got it. All right, when Star Talk continues, we're going to feature our our regular segment with Bill Nye, the science guy, and we get his take on the legacy of the moon landings when Star Talk continues. We're back on Star Talk, featuring my interview with Apollo 11 astronaut Buzz Aldrin. This guy walked on the moon, and he's not done yet. He wants us to go to Mars, and I had to ask him about it. Check it out. You know what ISRU? Yes, loving it. You do. In situ resource utilization. Right. <clears throat> now, I had to talk to the which new, is, which is fancy word for when you go there, you can't bring all your supplies. Figure out how to live yeah. when you get there. Now, extract water if from I the soil. If I were to say, what is the best? What is the most important thing that we need for the future? Rocket fuel to refuel rockets heading for Mars. If you can't do that, all of that has to be lifted up. Oh, is it m so much more expensive in time and everything else? You want filling stations throughout the solar system? Well, we want one, certainly, with a, a fair amount of fuel. I love it keep. because you've been tr trying to lead the charge. Even the shirt you're wearing, okay? Get your ass to Mars. That is a brilliant shirt. Brilliant. I want to bring the rest of my body as well as my ass. He, he wants to go to Mars so badly that anytime NASA talks about going to the moon, he 
he, he fights against it. Yeah. Even if that's like the next thing NASA wants to do, he don't care. He wants to go to Mars. All right, well, before we close out this show, as always, I got to catch up with my buddy Bill Nye, the science guy. And I'm told he gave his thoughts on the Apollo program while at the UN. And I said, what? what? I haven't seen I haven't seen it. I just heard. This is a dispatch nine times in the city mm -hmm. from the UN. I got to check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, in 1967, as the race to the moon was really picking up speed, countries from all over the world came together and signed the Outer Space Treaty. In it, humans from all over the world agreed that no country, no one, could lay claim to a celestial body like the moon and, and claim it for his, her, or itself. Furthermore, the treaty holds that no one or country can interfere with any life we might find out there. This is the prime directive. I'm sure you or your friends are familiar with it. It's from Star Trek. Can't interfere. Brilliant. Now it turns out that the prime directive is extracted entirely from the Charter of the United Nations. They both say, Let's agree to prevent aggression, either military or biological. But the prime directive is the same idea writ on a cosmic scale. Back to you, Neil. Cool. Bill Nye, the science guy. How did he get to give a speech at the UN? How did I, how did he? I think you sneak in when no one else is around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's a back door. I think that's yeah. what's going to happen. kind of... Slipped the security guard something. Yeah, they yeah. didn't show the... They didn't show the... the no one there. Yeah, yeah. He went, yeah. On <laughs> went on a Sunday. <laughs> so, so what are your parting reflections, uh, Eliza? I think without dreamers, we would never get to outer space. So I think the more we can encourage people to dream, no matter how silly or stupid or insane it sounds, nobody's called crazy when they actually succeed at something. Anyone who succeeds is never called crazy. Yeah. I like that. So, so Mike. Yeah. Yeah, give me something. I, th I think it's Old great. man who has been in space. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think it's great that you had Buzz on because he's really a national treasure. 12, only 12 people got to walk on the moon. Uh, seven of them are still around, and it's great to, to have him featured like that. Um, what they accomplished was great, but it was a blip, right? It happened. It was a long time ago. We went there and came back. And the next time we go, I think we should settle in a little more. Settle in. You mean uh, create a moon colony? Yeah. Create a, co a colony, uh, settlement, uh, place to hang out, research laboratory, whatever you want to call it. I think we should go and stay forever. So when I think about all this and reflect, uh, I think to myself, there is an outer space treaty for the peaceful use of outer space. So the goal is when we all go into space, we will treat one another kindly. And I don't have the confidence that others have in that. I want to believe it. But I say to myself, if you can treat each other kindly in space, then why not do that here on Earth? Hmm. Why do you have to be in space to not kill one another? However, my one glimmer of hope is that so much of human conflict in the history of civilization has been derived from scarcity of resources and access to those resources. And I look at space 
asteroids, comets, stars with limitless energy, and I realize, we should all realize, that space is a limitless supply of natural resources. Space may be the only place where peace is guaranteed because, in fact, we would have run out of all reasons for why to kill one another. You've been watching Star Talk here at the American Museum of Natural History, and I've been your host, your personal astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And as always, I now bid all of you not only farewell, but I require in life that you keep looking up. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.